So, thy kingdom come. Last week, Rachel talked about musicals and how normally they come in two acts and often the first act will build to some great big final song and sometimes it can be so big you kind of think, well, how can the second half live up to that? That was great. I remember a very clear example of that. Um, Before there was the film The Greatest Showman, there was another musical about the life of that great showman, which was simply called Barnum. I don't know if any of you got to see it. I was lucky enough to be able to go to the West End and see um, it being shown with Michael Crawford in the lead role of P.T. Barnum. Now, some of you may be too young to remember Frank Spencer, um, but those of a certain age, I'm sure, will remember the iconic scene of him roller skating down the hill and underneath a moving articulated lorry. And anyone who's seen that will know that this is an actor who's not afraid of a bit of physical acting. And won't be surprised that when he took on the role of P.T. Barnum, he threw himself into it and learning circus skills. He learned things like how to juggle, but he also learned some big stunts, like he climbs up a rope and gets spun round and round really fast. And he also does a tightrope walk right across the stage, and it's like 12 foot up in the air, and there's no safety net or anything. He has to do this as part of the show, and he threw himself into it. Nearly 40 years on, I can still remember going to that. I can't remember the music, other than part of it was used by Torval and Dean in one of their skating routines, so I can remember that. But I don't really remember the music, but I just remember going out at half-time and talking with my family, and saying, wow, that was incredible. How can anything top that? And then at the end, turning around and saying, well, they did it, (laughs) they topped it, it got even better. Rachel talked about how the cross and the resurrection can be seen like the big number that ends the first act of the Bible. They're not the end of the story. We are now living in Act 2. And there is still a grand finale to come when Christ will return in all his glory and when his kingdom shall be made complete. The cross and resurrection were an amazing end to the first act of the story. They're absolutely key. The story cannot happen without them. But as important as they are, they're not the end of the story, just the end of that act. The story goes on. A new act, a different phase, a new start in an ongoing story. But the story goes on. And thy kingdom come 
is all about that part of the story that is ongoing, the final act that we're living in. Thy Kingdom Come, the name that the Archbishops of York and Canterbury chose for their prayer initiative, is of course taken from the Lord's Prayer. Thy Kingdom Come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew 6. But why did they choose it? What did they mean by it when they chose that name for this initiative to get call the nation together to pray? In what we now refer to as the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, Jesus gave very clear instructions to the apostles as to what their job was. He made it very clear to them what the plan for the church was, what he wanted them to achieve, what he wanted them to go out and do. He told them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. That is the purpose of the church. That is what we're here for. That is what the ongoing story is all about. To make thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And to do so by sharing the gospel message. If God wanted, he could just call us up to heaven. As soon as we become Christians, he could say, right, they're Christians now, so... Snap my fingers, and up they come to heaven. But he doesn't. And the reason for that is twofold. On the one hand, he has a plan for our lives. For each one of us, he has a plan for us. He wants us to bring about the kingdom. That's the plan he has for us. And he wants us to do that by living out the life that he has called to us and by sharing it with those around us. That's his plan for us. But it's not just that he has a plan for us. The second part of the twofold plan is that he also has a plan for the world. And what's God's plan for the world? Well, his plan for the world is us. It's you and me. His plan is that we will save the world. We will bring about his kingdom on earth. He has no other plan. He has no plan B. He has no alternatives. His plan is simple. His plan is for us to save the world and for the world to be saved by us to make thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When I think about it, I don't know which bit of that's scarier. Which bit of that's the worst plan? That he wants us to save the world or that he wants the world to be saved by us? I don't know about you, but when he put that plan together, he certainly wasn't thinking about me. Does any know what I'm like? Does any know I'm no good? Does any know I get things wrong? 
Does any know how much I muck things up? What kind of plan is this? That he wants me to save the world. That he wants us to save the world. But that is his plan. And it's not just me and you. If we look back at the disciples, if we look back at those who he first entrusted with this plan, we find a bunch of men who had three years full-time training, living with him, following him, listening to his teaching, seeing him work miracles, having opportunity to spend quality time with him. And how did they do? Luke 9 verse 46 tells us that they argued and they squabbled about who was the greatest. And then goes on in verses 54 and 55 and Jesus has to rebuke them because they're wanting God to call down fire on a village to destroy it. And Jesus says, no, that's not the message. That's not the plan. In Mark 10, James and John come selfishly to Jesus, asking him that they'd be allowed to sit either side of him when he enters heaven. Jesus turned to them and say, no. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's not about doing things for yourself. It's about doing things for others. Peter, the leader of the group, the one Jesus calls his rock, he gets it so, so wrong. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus says to him, Get behind me, Satan. And then continues by saying, you are a stumbling block to me. You are a rock, yes, but a rock that I'll trip over. Despite everything Jesus has said about the kingdom, they totally misunderstood and thought that it was about driving out the Romans and setting Israel free. Not about a new kind of kingdom. And then in Jesus' greatest hour of need, when he's being arrested, they all just disappeared into the night. Even after his death, we read in John 20, verse 9, they still didn't understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And he goes on in verse 26 to tell us, even after they'd seen the resurrected Jesus, they were still hiding away behind locked doors, getting it wrong time and time again. And that was God's plan for the likes of them and the likes of us to be his method of extending the kingdom. The thing is that while there is no plan B, there is a second part to plan A. 
And that is what Pentecost is all about. He does want us to save the world. And he does want the world to be saved by us. But it's not on our own. There is help. More importantly, there is the one that he calls the helper. In John 14, 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper. And then he goes on to tell them that he lives with you and he's in you. Pentecost is when that help comes. Pentecost is when the Spirit comes. Pentecost is when that helper comes and lives within us and everything changes. Many churches hold a party at Pentecost because it's the birthday of the church. It's certainly the start of the church as something new that we remember at Pentecost. Because suddenly everything changes And these disciples who were hidden away behind locked doors, scared of what might happen, suddenly are bold enough to stand out in front of a crowd of thousands and speak in strange languages such that they get accused of being drunkards. And suddenly... Peter is able to stand and proclaim the gospel message, talking of signs and wonders and prophecy, declaring the promise of salvation to all who call upon the Lord and doing it in such a way that thousands turn to God. As we read on in the New Testament, we find story after story of Miraculous healings of signs and wonders. Peter, the stumbling block. We read in Acts 9 verses 36 to 42. Even prayed for Tabitha to be raised from the dead and she was raised. Incredible miracles. A change brought about by the fact that they are filled with the Spirit. It's not because they're anything special. We've seen that they got it wrong time and time again. We might remember them now as saints, but they were just ordinary blokes. What made the difference was being filled with the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that is here, now, and available to us all. That same spirit, that same helper that will help us to fulfil the plans that God has for us to save the world and for the world to be saved by us. God reminded me of this just this morning as I was going to um, print out my notes. We have a few problems with our printer at home and... um, computer doesn't always seem to connect with the printer and you send it to print and nothing happens. 
And at that moment, I've got a Bible app on my phone, and I, I get a daily verse, verse of the day. And the verse of the day that came through while I'm sat there thinking, what am I going to do if my notes don't print out, was John 16, verse 25. And it says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and make you remember all that I have told you. I love God's sense of humour. In the end, he did help me to remember by making the printer work, so I have got some notes. But at that moment, I knew that he was there with me and that it would be all right. It's the first time that St. James has joined in with Thy Kingdom Come. And it has been a great week with lots of things going on. I don't know how many of you came and did the labyrinth. Um, I do know when I got here on Wednesday, they were queuing out the door and I had to wait my turn. Um, but it was, it was wonderful coming in and I had a great time playing with the um, rocket. Um, and doing all the other activities as well. It wasn't just playing with the rocket. but And there were the other events as well, like the soaking in prayer and the prayer walk. I don't know how many of you took the cards that were given out and wrote five names on them and prayed for them every day. Or maybe you downloaded the app. Some of you may have heard my phone go beep a moment ago. Well, that's the daily reminder that comes with the app to pray for those five people going off, saying, oh, it's time to pray for them. But thy kingdom come is over now for another year. The labyrinth has disappeared and the chairs are all back in their rows. But while Pentecost may be the end of these 11 days, Pentecost itself is a beginning, not an end. It may be a new part of the story, but the story goes on and will continue to go on until Jesus returns and the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. So, what is the message of Pentecost? Well, Pentecost can be the start of a new act for you. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, he will come. He doesn't force himself upon you. He waits to be invited. But he will come. Invite him in and he will fill you. Fill you to overflowing. Fill your hearts and your minds and give you the help that you need so that you can follow his calling. When we use churchy language like being baptised in the Spirit, it can be a bit scary. 
but he's simply saying, invite me to come and I will come and help you. And as I come, I will come and help you to boldly proclaim the gospel so that you can, through the power of the Spirit, perform miraculous signs and wonders. You can lead others to Christ. You can play your part in the plan. Or you may have been filled before, but maybe you're not feeling so full at the moment. As Rachel said last week, we are all a bit leaky. And so we need constant filling to keep us topped up. There's nothing wrong with that. Invite the Spirit to come again, to fill you again, to be your helper. I also noticed this morning that the church is not absolutely packed out with five times as many people as normal. I'm guessing that not everybody on everyone's list of five have suddenly become Christians in this week. But just because we've reached the end of the Thy Kingdom Come initiative doesn't mean that we have to stop praying for them. If you never got round to writing five names on a list, you can still think of five people and commit to pray for them. And if you don't know how to do it, the helper will help you with that too. Romans 8 verse 26 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So let us let him help us to pray for these five people that they may too come to know the Lord. Not because we're in the numbers name, not because we want the church to be overflowing for the sake of overflowing. But because we want his kingdom to come. Because we want people to know the truth. Because we want them to know the good news that is Jesus Christ. And then maybe when we've prayed for these five people and they have come to know Jesus, we can Think of another five people to pray for. Thy kingdom come as an initiative may have finished. But the story goes on. The mission of the church goes on. Our calling to the great commission goes on. Pentecost is about a new start to a new act of the story. Pentecost is about us having a plan to save the world and a plan for the world to be saved by us. Not on our own, 
but in the power of the Spirit. Not on our own, but with the power of the Helper. So let us continue in that work to make thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.